0: What up? This is Dart Adams and this is Dart Against Humanity episode 16. So last episode, I really wish I had more of a direction, a more of a focus, a more of a laid out plan for exactly what I was going to talk about and the points I was going to bring up. So I'm never doing that again. So that's going to be the beauty of the first two episodes. It's like you have to get them out the way and so we can actually get to better episodes going forward. So from here on to the end of the season, this should be going a lot smoother than it did earlier. So one of the things I wanted to talk about today was my Twitter interactions are weird because I have this level of history and a knowledge base based on my age and perspective on certain things. So when people respond to things that I tweet, it's weird because a lot of them don't know who I am because they see something I tweet get RT'd onto their timeline. So they respond to me directly like they didn't read my timeline at all. So they don't know that this is tweet eight in a series of 25 about a particular subject and I'm going in order. So they just see one thing and they jump to a conclusion, which drives me fucking insane. It's like if someone shows you a scene from a movie and you judge the movie off that one scene without having context of what happened before or what happened after it or who the characters are, it drives me fucking insane. But the point I'm making is I was tweeting about gaming systems or something like that. How much I hate the N64 and someone commented on how could I hate the N64 and N64 was a crucial part of their childhood and I responded with um, because the PlayStation, Sega Saturn and the Turbo Duo and the, the SNK Neo Geo all existed in that same time period and it all had to do with age and perspective now, when the Neo Geo and all these other gaming systems came came out, it was a space in the 90s, you know? So, and the N64 came out, it was like two, 1996? And if you were a certain age then, then of course your focus is going to be on the N64 because you probably grew up, your first gaming system was probably the SNES. So the N64 was something special for you. I was 2021 20, when the N64 came out. I looked at it like it was a piece of trash. It didn't have any games that interested me. You know, and then again, it comes down to perspective too, because as I've explained to people several times, there are people that are Disney fans, there are people that love Pixar, there are people that love Studio Ghibli. I'm a Madhouse guy, if you know what that means. Madhouse is a studio in Japan that existed right after Studio Ghibli came into prominence, but it makes edgier, higher end, more violent type anime cartoons. So swords, guns, shit like that, as opposed to like My Neighbor Totoro or, or uh, Howl's Moving Castle or shit like that that people love. Um, Kiki's delivery service, that type of cutesy shit. So again, it all comes down to, um, age and perspective. So when you come at somebody a certain way about something, you have to keep in mind that your age and your perspective are going to change the way you view the world or the way you experience things. It's the same thing that I talked about years ago when I was writing and I was explaining because I wanted to find out This a lot of research goes into stuff. So I always wanted to understand the phenomenon early and this is something people didn't write about the phenomenon of why people of a certain age group loved it was written so much and I was like, but it was written was clearly a step down uh, quality wise lyrically. And sonically, from Illmatic. So, how come these kids love "It Was Written" so much? And so, I had to go in and had to find why were we so disappointed with "It Was Written"? And of course, it came down to the fact that we, of course, remember Naj from "Live at the Barbecue." We remembered halftime. We had Illmatic, but the other part of it is that we. Also went to buy, it was written, and a lot of us bought it the same day we bought um, De La Soul's Stakes is High. So that day, we compared Stakes is High with It Was Written. And we also paralleled how much of a step down It Was Written was from Illmatic, which was quite As close as you could come to possibly being A perfect rap album As close as you could come To some people, not everybody And of course Some people think just call it an EP I'm just like, dude, you know how long an album is But again These are all things That come with age These are all things that come with your specific Group Of experiences From your life Perfect example, Uh, August 11th, 1973 is regarded as the day that hip-hop started. So, August 11th is hip-hop's birthday now. So, this year, it was its 45th birthday. So, you know, all the different rap sites and, and... Digital conglomerates, what have you, have been posting things on Twitter saying like, "Uh, I fell in love with hip hop when I heard or what album made you fall in love with hip hop? And this drives me fucking insane because of my age and my perspective. Hip hop culture isn't predicated on just rap music. So when Diddy posted it on Twitter, he was like, what did you hear that made you fall in love with hip hop? My response was a DJ playing breaks that made B-boys go to the floor because that's what made me fall in love with hip hop. I explained this. I was talking to term a terminology years ago and I was telling him I was like, it drives me insane because when I grew up in hip hop. The last thing we thought about doing was rapping. It was dead last On the list of things in hip hop We wanted to do Like that's the last thing you do Like we wanted to be b-boys We wanted to write graph We wanted to DJ Because the DJ was the guy Or the woman Like the DJ Everything catered to the DJ The b-boys came Because the DJ Was there Right? MC's auditioned for the DJ. And then when MC's performed, all they did was try to showcase the DJ. And they just rhymed over whatever the DJ was playing. It was all about the DJ. The crew, the rap group was basically the dudes in front of the DJ. And the DJ was the show. So for me to see I fell in love with hip hop when I heard and all these people jumping on it like because that's their only their only experience for them. Hip hop is what they heard. And then they think about like hip hop fashion, not realizing that hip hop culture was the thing, the vehicle that made it so we modified or changed. The fashion or the clothing that already existed To fit our needs and our lifestyle Which is what made it hip-hop It wasn't hip-hop on its own Lees, Wranglers, they ain't give a fuck about hip-hop We made it hip-hop Because of the culture that we were living and experiencing every day So there's that Shit like that that drives me insane And I always have to deal With explaining things to people In regards to, like, the music industry or the culture, what have you. Because when I say culture, I'm talking about hip-hop culture and the continuum of black music, that culture. But if you haven't experienced that, then your idea of the culture is something completely different. Your idea of the culture is mostly what I would consider corporate mainstream music or rap or, or, or the rap industry. I don't consider that culture. I consider that an offshoot. But if you didn't experience what I experienced, we're using the same word and you think we're talking about the same thing and I know we're not. And the frustration is I have to stop and explain to you, no, what you actually think you know is a lie. It's a misnomer. You are actually incorrect. And imagine how that's going to make you feel. You're going to get defensive. You're going to get angry. But I'm not attacking you. I'm just telling you. You weren't around for the entire span of time where everything changed over. It's like if you were in a coma or if you were frozen in ice and you Captain America and now you wake up and you have to be told what the fuck happened. But then again, you got to investigate for yourself on top of that to make sure that it's accurate. But. Are you that kind of person that's going to investigate for yourself? And where do you start? This is why I always tell people one of the biggest issues that I have with uh, research is that if you don't know where to begin looking or you don't know how to do it, you're kind of screwed to begin with. Imagine going into a library and there's no person, there's no research person, there's no librarian. And it's just up to you in this big space with card catalogs and you have no one to direct you. That's world. So, uh, something else that I was asked a while ago was to talk about uh, ghostwriting. And I was asked, how come nobody addresses ghostwriting in this space? I'll tell you. The reason why nobody addressed ghostwriting in the space is because it's, it's a slippery slope. It's dangerous. And you it also has to do with the sophistication level of the audience. That is a key issue. It has to do with, the, one, the, sophistic- the sophistication level of the audience and their knowledge base. And then it also has to do with how tethered are they to the music... Or the experience Because it's like religion in a sense People have faith in certain things They believe in certain ideologies And if you do anything To make them uh, Reconsider that Or actually not even reconsider it To go against it Because it's supposed to be the gospel truth So if you're breaking that And you're making people think that, oh, no, wait, everything I thought was a lie. They're going to have a reaction and that reaction is not going to be good for anyone. I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite uh, quotes to always go back to is in the Matrix. Morpheus said they don't release a mind past a certain time because they wouldn't be able to deal with. With the reality of the, of the machine, of the machination that the matrix is. It's a system of control. And once you're broken out of it, you may lose it. Because everything that you knew when you go to the other side is hard to deal with. Perfect example, right? The idea of ghostwriting for most people And then again, here's the other problem The people who really want to know and talk about this Are usually casual fans Not people with a whole bunch of music knowledge Because they're not going to break They'll be fine They already know half of this shit And some of the stuff you tell them, they would be like Word? Oh shit, okay Whatever And also it has to do with Who's actually been involved with music Who's actually been involved with the process? Who's actually been around artists? Who actually knows the ins and outs? And the thing is that this percentage, this percentage isn't as large as you would like to think. If you write a big tell-all book about the music industry and all these pieces of minutia and all these other things, do you think that's a large audience of people who want to buy this shit? No. I know a lot of people that write books about music And they're music historians and music nerds And they love it like we do And I know for a fact Their books aren't selling like crazy Because a lot of these people They care Are either in Or adjacent to academia Or They're like super music vets Or or music heads like that And these aren't books you find in everybody's home You know Jackie Collins sold a lot of books. If you're a fucking music historian, you're not going to sell books like that. Michael Crichton sold a significant amount of books, but we ain't going to move books like that. So the percentage of people who really care is going to be small because not that many people are going to invest their, invest their time and energy into learning all this shit. So if you divulge any kind of information past a certain level... They're going to shut down immediately because it's going to fuck with them. Because they were not prepared for all this information. It's like trying to take a baby out of a stroller and make it run. You have to work your way up. And certain people just don't learn certain things because they don't feel they have to and they're not interested. But then now they want to jump into a conversation about ghostwriting when they haven't had even the basic foundation for knowing things about the music industry and how it works, or the creative process, or who's actually in the studio, or who's involved with the making of an album. Yeah, they probably read liner notes, but they don't really pay, the, pay attention like that. But back to the whole situation, right? So let's go back to the early days of emceeing, right? Let's say you're a group. It's 1978, 79, 80. Now, you're all young. A lot of you are teenagers, young adults. It's about the DJ. So you're performing with the DJ, you're rehearsing your routines or whatever. Now let's say there's 5 of you in the group. And you got to go back and forth with your rhymes. Are you motherfuckers all gonna sit there and write a line, the next person write a line, the next person write a line, 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 next person write a line. You're gonna do that? When you have a limited amount of time, and also you have to remember that you're going to be performing for three, four, five hours at this jam at a time. This isn't like a 30 minute set. This is back when people performed at jams. So you have a limited amount of time to rehearse, first of all. Then you have a limited amount of time to construct rhymes and learn them because you have to learn the routines. Then The other part that's underrated That people don't think about Is that when you perform back in the days You actually had to load your shit Or you had to have somebody help load your shit You had to travel to the venue You had to unpack it You had to do everything Put up the mics, all the shit You had to do all these things Your sound system So your time is at a premium That being the case Everybody ain't writing their fucking rhymes Okay? But also you have to remember that you have a long show so if you previously wrote rhymes, because a lot of times you had to audition or you were in other groups and you did other stuff, so you wrote rhymes for yourself. There's going to be a part in the show where you get to do your own rhyme to fill up time. And it goes back and someone else wrote, writes their rhyme. But when it's time to do the routines, usually it's one person writing the routines, and that's probably the head person. So let's say Grandmaster Caz is writing routines. Because there's the routines that you that you. That Everybody everybody raps together Going back and forth So you get this line, you get this line, you get this line, you get this line You get this line, you get this line, you get this line line, line, And the routine's written Then also, there's the part where you write and sing And you harmonize So you got the people to specialize in the harmony Because you had to have that So alright, we gotta get the harmony down We gotta do the arranging So maybe somebody else does the arranging Maybe Kaz writes half of that Somebody else writes the other half And somebody else helps with the harmonizing So they get that down and out the way so then everybody can learn it right after they learn the routine Or learn it after the routine Because it has to go right afterwards and Then there's the set where everybody goes back And they does the rhymes that they've pre-written written before Alright Now if you saw uh, What's the name of the movie? House Party There's a scene where Kid's on the bed and he's writing Toe to toe, kid plays on the roll again It's only right we keep the crowd dancing Rhymes is dope, the tempo is steady You ready? Let's slip up the floor like confetti now, I want you guys to think about that. Who remembers the song Toe to Toe? It also was a single I believe it was a B-side. Um, now, if you remember correctly, if you've heard the song Toe to Toe, which is on the album Funhouse, that's kid and play rhyming together. Toe to toe, kid and play is on the road again. Then it's play. It's only right we keep the crowd dancing. Kid, rhymes is dope. The tempo is steady. Them together. You ready? And then kid, let's up the floor like confetti. Cause it ever plays. In, well, the pipe on the mic or on the fly dance tip. Never change it, Never change it. But if you're keeping the step, it means danger. I've seen a lot of kick-step impressionists. But we're not impressed. So I guess it must be a disc. Get it together. Together. Might be full, but we ain't having it. Kid play get taken out? I can't imagine it. So, to drop the needles. The needle, Show them who's the dance leaders. That shit. Alright? So... Think about that rhyme. Now, when we were kids, we were like, "Oh, it's dope." They're going back and forth because that's what people did. But you have to take take, in that, take into account think if you want to do this shit effectively. One person wrote the rhyme because you have to go to a studio and it's cost effective. You guys gonna sit there and you're gonna go line 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 back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. So either one person wrote that rhyme for them both to record or someone else wrote the rhyme for them both to record. That's not crazy crazy thing. Now, fast forward. Let's say somebody's talking about uh, yo, one of my favorite things you did was this performance that y'all did in 1979 at the this and this and this PA, uh, the PAL or whatever uh, Webster Avenue Whatever, and you go the and the MC says actually like I ain't write that. Like when you wrote that shit, that was crazy. It's like I ain't write that. Thing wrote that. I wrote the rhyme later where I'm rapping fast. You know, when um dudes cutting up um Scorpio or whatever. Like I wrote that. Kaz wrote that. To people that were around for that era, that's not crazy. That's not going to break their minds. They understand these things. They were around for that. But to somebody later, the idea that someone spit a rhyme they didn't write themselves is insane. When I was a kid, perfect example, I was it was explained to me. I used to, like, stay up late try to watch talk shows. I didn't understand that dialogues weren't written by the comedian who read them. I remember how old I was when I found out that comedians didn't always write their own jokes. I didn't understand how you could be a comedian and read someone else's jokes. But then I didn't understand that the comedian on stage... A lot of times came up writing jokes for somebody else. Then my brother explained to me, like, you like the Flip Wilson show? Those jokes the Flip Wilson saying out of his mouth were written by a group of people. You know what I'm saying? Richard Pryor has writers. He wrote for other people. And this is when it turns into a, a situation where it's like, what's the best way for me to describe this? Um. not Alice in Wonderland it's um The Wizard of Oz pay no attention to the man behind the cape that's when it's one of those situations because of course when you're young you don't understand that there's a whole nother world and there are other things happening and that Singers don't write all their own songs. There are singer-songwriters. You know, Dionne Warwick did not sing all of her own songs. Doesn't mean she wasn't a great singer. And that doesn't mean that just because the words were written by somebody else, it took her to deliver them a certain way. Just like actors on TV. You think they're cool because of what their character says, but someone else wrote those lines. But... They had to audition a bunch of people to give those lines life because you can put words on a piece of paper. But it's how someone reads them and how someone delivers them that makes them. Have you seen that scene from Rain's World where they had the guy, they asked the guy the question and he delivers it. Hey, hey, can can we get a better actor to do this? And then he comes in and he does it and he delivers the same the same lines, but in a way that completely stepped up everything. That's the importance of a performance. All right. And sometimes you can write a rhyme or a song for yourself and someone else can be the person that actually makes it pop. So you end up giving that song away or or selling that song. In the early days of the music industry, it was just a bunch of people trying to sell songs. And sometimes the song wouldn't go. Sometimes the song wouldn't work for them. But sometimes you'd bring a song to somebody. Yo, I got the perfect song. This and this and this. We have the perfect singer for that. That's how everything was built. So when you come into the era of rap. It's about the performance. And it's about the show. And yes, the words are important. But... The delivery, the ferocity are also important because it's a live art form. So somehow we fast forward to now and we get people thinking that rappers have to write everything and they have to live what they write. It ain't true in comedy, it ain't true in singing, it ain't true in any other form of creativity that you absolutely have to. And this is a sticking point that Jerry Seinfeld makes when he talks about this on um comedians and cars getting coffee about comedy. He's like, I don't care if it's real, if it's true or not. We didn't give a fuck if if, if uh Don Rickles was really going through the shit with his wife. It was funny. And then when Don Rickles' wife died, he was still doing wife jokes. So that tells you everything you need to know. LL Cool J Was talking about getting women and and smashing chicks. And he'd been married and in a committed relationship forever. If we go back to the 1979, 1980. Motherfuckers is talking about having a space antenna at the back of the car. You know goddamn well they didn't have that. Listen to um, Special Ed's I Got It Made. Which he recorded when he was 16. Was he telling the truth? Does he really have a treaty with Tahiti because he owns a percent? Does he have a dog with a solid gold bone? No. So this idea that rap always has to be about motherfuckers telling the truth. Get that shit out your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. So whenever people come up to me with this, their preconceived notions of what rap is or has been forever. I'm like, motherfucker, you weren't there. You don't remember shit. You don't know shit. So, it's a, so that's why I started off with age, perspective. Experience and knowledge base for our how we see things. I know for a fact no one's going to write a rhyme about ghostwriting because I've been in spaces where I've said one thing to somebody and their face just turns white and they freeze and their mouth drops. And I'm like, if they can't handle that one factoid, there's no fucking way in hell they're gonna ha- deal with have to handle an entire book about ghostwriting. I told this guy this uh, months ago. No, no, no. Just maybe a month ago. And I was just like, all right, let me let me put forth a a scenario for you. A what if scenario for you? Let's say did Biggie had this thing where if he wanted to put on somebody to be a writer or a ghostwriter for him, for, for other acts, for Undias or for Bad Boy if he wants to refer him to puff. What he did was, alright, here's the ultimate test. Because if you're going to write, just like if you're a songwriter. Just like if you're, you have to write in the voice of the person you're trying to write for. So, his thing was, you have to write a rhyme for me. A rhyme so ill that I could record it on one of my own songs. Record one of your verses in one of my own songs and nobody would even realize I didn't write the verse. That's your test to become a writer for me. If you want to write for Junior Mafia, you want to write for Puff, you want to write for anybody on Bad Boy or Undias. I said, imagine that's the situation. All right. Now imagine that there are songs that B.I.G. recorded. Where he didn't write every single verse. He spits a verse that was written by Jada Kiss. He spit a verse that was actually written by Mace. Imagine that. And I said this as a scenario, as a possibility. And this dude lost it. And he was like, no, 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 that didn't happen because... And I was like, I'm, it's a what if scenario. It's a what if scenario. I'm talking about something that didn't happen. Am I? I'm talking about something that didn't happen. But am I? He couldn't handle that. And I was like, well, now you have the answer as to why nobody's ever written a book about ghostwriting. Because it would shake the very fucking foundation of and belief systems of rap fans everywhere. And the only people that would be able to handle it are the people... who Who have heard these things and know these things and know where the bodies are buried and are still alive and fine and haven't fucking lost it. And can accept it. The percentage of these people is so minuscule, so small. The number is damn near negligible. You have to have been in the industry or around the industry, industry adjacent for a long time to be able to say, eh, okay. I can handle that. That's why there will never be a book on ghostwriting. Also, a lot of people are gonna get butt hurt and scared because they're gonna think people are going to think less of them because it's so fucking prevalent. When you when I found out that Queen Latifah had writers, you know, whether it be Apache or Tretch here and there, or maybe a Lock him. Shabazz, or maybe a Latte. who knows when you discover when you can tell by listening though you know when Roxanne Shante who used to freestyle all her rhymes all of a sudden when she ends up when Warner Brothers gives um, Coach Chilling a deal and she starts rhyming, you're like wait, Big Daddy Kane wrote that or that's a cool G rap verse or you think it's cool G rap or Big Daddy Kane when it's actually Granddaddy IU or you hear uh, Real Roxanne, but you don't realize the Real Roxanne's rhymes were written by either one of the members of um, UTFO or later Chub Rock. Chub Rock wrote her entire Go Down But Don't Bite It album. She has songs like But Your Brother Does on there and Go Down But Don't Bite It. Written by Chub Rock. Chub Rock's writing in, for a woman. This is not something uncommon This shit happens in R&B all the time But for some reason people will have it in their minds That Rap and R&B are not the same They're fucking stems of the same Fucking continuum of black music Goat writing is writing Songwriting is songwriting But rap's different Okay It is different because It was the red-headed stepchild of black music Up until 1988 But when you get in a recording studio and you have a budget and you have people behind you and you have certain expectations, Mm -hmm. guess what? Things are going to change. And then you also have to keep in mind from the beginning that a lot of things changed over time, but there are so many different generations in rap that a lot of stuff didn't stick so, people don't know how it used to be versus now because a lot of people dropped off because there's generations every three to five years. This is what happened with the whole freestyling situation. What a freestyle was considered in 1984 and 1985 changed a bit between 1988 and 1990. The battle changed. From how Kumo cool D switched it over, and when Kumo cool D did change the battle forever, people thought it was corny that Kumo cool D showed up spitting something he wrote beforehand to Busy B. Sorry, Busy B, don't mean to be bold. Put that Bob Diddy Bob bullshit on hold. Change battle rap forever. And some of the people there were like, That's corny. Just like how battle rap is now, where people are like, Wait, so people go home and they study and they know who they're battling? And they don't even have a beat? That's corny. And I'm to me, I'm like, I understand it. It makes sense. It's, the evolution makes sense. Gets rid of all the pretense and all the bullshit. And you know who you're going up against, you know? Like, back in the days, cats used to battle, It'd be like, yo, who am I gonna battle? Oh, this is who I'm battling, and you just make jokes. Or make comments about that person right then and there. But you always had something written or a skeleton to go to just in case. You got to battle all off the top of the dome. Like, go back and listen to some early um new music seminar battles. Not everybody is coming off the top. Matter of fact, a lot of those rhymes you heard later on record. Big Daddy Kane versus Jazz Fresh. All the freestyle meant at one point was a rhyme that wasn't originally written in song form or without a specific subject. Freestyle. Just raps. There's a lot of LL Cool J rhymes that he says that are L that never got recorded. Never made a song. But it's just bars. Bars on top of bars. To him, that was a freestyle. Yo, can I kick a freestyle? Go back and listen. Go to YouTube. Go to his, uh, on at Powerhouse, uh, uh when they were on tour. Any of the fucking, uh, the Def Jam tour, uh, uh, Together Forever, was he on Together Forever was he? He was on the Def Jam tour when Together Forever happened, or was he on the, um, the Raising Hell tour? He was, he was there because he was a supporting act with, uh, Beastie Boys. That's when he fell out with Beastie Boys. But. They would do these events afterwards, and people would record it, and LL Cool J would just get on stage and just rap. And another thing that I just want to point out to people, please get your shit straight. Um, and these old LL Cool J freestyles and recordings, he would say, Ayo, J, he's talking to Cut Creator. Cut Creator's name is J. Phil Potts. Alright? He's not, it's not Jam Master J. Sometimes he would rhyme with Jam Master J on stage, but there's this one specific instance where he's rhyming and Run DMC had just come into the venue. Of course, they're the the big act and he was, you know, one of the openers. So he shouts them out as they come in. But the story is that he was supposedly rhyming going at Run because he was mad at Run about something. But also... The reason I bring this up is because LL Cool J wrote several songs for Run DMC. Perfection. Is it live? These are LL Cool J songs that he wrote for Run DMC. He wrote MC Light's verse on self-destruction. Does this make MC Light any less of a, a legend or a star? No. Because people wrote for Run DMC. Everybody from Black Rock and Ron, you know, to a whole bunch of other folks, you know, may have written rhymes for Run DMC. Does that mean that Run's still not great? No. Does that mean Run didn't write all his own shit? Absolutely not. But the fact of the matter is, in an industry, no, these type of things happen. You have to consider the material in front of you. Whether it be beats... Whether it be rhymes, whether it be hooks. You're kicking around a lot of stuff. Like uh, one of the things that happened earlier this year. The conversation about who wrote Summertime. Now, this was my stance. This is probably going to be the last thing I talk about. My stance was when you listen Here it is, a groove slightly transformed. Just a bit of a break from the norm. People think that sounds like Rakim. To me, it sounds like smoothed out LL Cool J. Dumbin', I got the funky drummer drummin'. Two miles an hour so everybody sees you and there's an air of love and of happiness and this is the Fresh Prince's new definition of summer madness so I'm like, people are like no, Rakim wrote Summertime and I'm like, do you have any proof of Rakim being the type of dude that wrote rhymes for other people? That wasn't Rakim's thing however, LL Cool J did write for other people but LL Cool J more than likely didn't write for Will Smith so what I'm thinking is that Will who was busy doing Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and necessarily didn't and and also pursuing his acting career uh not necessarily had enough time to write rhymes like that. So like Brand New Funk. So what he did probably if he did write the rhyme he probably was listening to a lot of LL cuz I know he was a fan and he probably followed LL's guideline like he did on you know to the break of dawn you know uh, the booming system, the type of shit that he rapped on, uh, the t- kind of shit he rapped like on um, "Mama Said Knock You Out" on uh, songs like "Cheesy Rap Blues." You know, like if he did, then more than likely he did his version of LL's smooth, calm down, relaxed flow, or someone else wrote it, but they did it in that vein too, like LL. Because they knew that if anybody be able to deliver it, it would be Will. Without any problem. So then somebody jumps in and says, Juice wrote it. And I'm like, word, Juice? Now, if it's not me, who has a fucking extensive background and knowledge in the music industry and a time, who's been around the industry since I was seven years old, who knew the industry was bullshit. When New Edition came home with 187. And got dropped off in the projects. From their tour bus. Then I'm like. Oh. Hmm. Juice. Let me think about this. Kula and K Fingers. Were from Chicago. They had produced. For a bunch of jive acts. Including Mr. Lee. The hip house act. Um, They produced for a. Uh, um, Too short. They'd done remixes for Too Short. They'd done work with other live acts. Matter of fact, they were um, producing for Too Too Many, they're Chilling Like a Smut Villain album. So they're from Chicago. Juice is from Chicago. So maybe Juice worked with them like he was the ghostwriter. And then I realized that, yo, not only did Juice write for them, but Juice actually wrote. Worked with them doing R&B shit Like the shit that they did for High Five Who were also on Jive So I'm like yo It makes perfect sense that Juice could have written Summertime Because Juice did leave for LA In this specific year To go work with them This is not me Googling This was what I knew and putting the Chicago connection together and knowing about what Kool and K Fingers did and knowing about Jive Records. This is without me going, no, this is without me going to Discogs, which is what I did second because I fact check my own memory. So I'm like, yo, that checks out, that makes sense. It probably was Juice. So I say this on my Twitter timeline and I show my work. Everything I just said to you, I tweet that shit. And I go through the timeline. Then I go through Discogs. And I'm like, who K Fingers worked on this? Who and K Fingers worked on this? They worked on this. And then they worked on um, the home Base album. I was like, you know what? That checks out. It could have been Juice. Then what ends up happening is Mega Ranch flat out Axe Juice. Yo, did you write Summertime? He tells them, I did I was working with Hula and K Fingers Da-da-da-da. This came later and, I'm like, and he was like, yo, that was crazy I did the work in my head Based on what I knew Now forever People are going to continue to say That Kim wrote Summertime Even though it's already I already proved it Just like the shit that I've done on my timeline Where I said this is not the right release date For this album And I've shown everybody the work In this day and age, no one gives a fuck about facts. But also, people don't give a fuck about facts. They're going to believe what they want to believe. But also, if you tell them facts, it's going to completely shatter all their preconceived notions and their belief system. Because they don't have the basis or the background to be able to deal with this type of information. So, the sophistication of the audience dictates a lot of the time what you get. You'll get different books, you'll get different film, you'll get different art based on the sophistication level of the audience. And the fact of the matter is, the reason we'll never get a ghostwriting book, and I will never write a ghostwriting book. Is because the audience at large wouldn't be able to fucking handle it. And I think a lot of people that are who would be talked about wouldn't be happy with it because they know the same thing I know. The audience wouldn't be able to handle it. It's like, when do you tell a kid that he's adopted? It's based on a sophistication level of the person. When's the good time? to te- I think it's finally time to tell you the truth. I think it's finally time you should know this. When you tell kids there's no Santa Claus. When you tell kids the Easter Bunny ain't real. When do you show certain movies to kids? When is it okay to finally watch th- The Lost Boys? It varies from person to person. Everybody can't handle the same thing. We can't give one blanket thing. I know we like to do it. PG-13. That PG-13 movie, some 7-year-old could watch. In theory. Some 8-year-old, 9-year-old can handle it. In theory. There's some really sensitive 13-year-olds who wouldn't be able to handle a PG-13 movie. In theory. Everybody isn't the same. However, when we're dealing with music or art or anything like that everybody's level of sophistication or understanding or knowledge base isn't the fucking same. So if I give you some information you can handle, the person next to you might fucking fall to their knees and their whole world might be caved in if I tell them this. Because I then have to explain to them 40 years of shit they didn't know and it would be like um it would be like showing somebody the zeitgeist film like the zeitgeist films you know about all the like the conspiracy theories I've seen people watch zeitgeist and fucking all of a sudden they start acting like someone with a, who's just had a manic episode. Because they all these other things, these things they didn't notice before, these things they didn't realize before, now it's all tied together. You know? Meanwhile, you show me Zeitgeist 1 and 2, and I'm like, yeah. And? So a lot of times people come at me on Twitter with something. They're like, coming with their own experience level like, yo, how in the hell you gonna say that the Wii is trash? And then they start riling off all these games that they consider classics for the Wii, which I'm like, "Eh, those are trash. Because again, my sophistication level or what I like, it's not my preference. Everybody's preference and shit is not the same. That's why we have Nicki Minaj stands going at people because they don't like her bars, that Mississippi shit that she said. Like, you don't understand. Or like when I was talking about how her calling herself Chun-Li when she's not a villain is stupid. He's like, you don't understand. What she's actually saying is you'll just believe what you want to believe. You're going to back what you want to back. And anybody who challenges what you think of your belief system is the enemy, and they have to be dealt with. But yeah, that's pretty much it for this episode of Dart Against Humanity. I think this is episode 15 or 16. I should look into that. It's 16. I don't know what else to say, and I don't know what the fuck I'm going to name this.